In this episode, we have a special guest expert who is going to walk us through the four steps she takes when inspecting strata records. Now, this is essential listening if you're thinking about buying an apartment, a villa, a unit, a townhouse, basically anything that has common property. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. During our three-year journey to help first-time buyers, we have found an increasing number of you want us to help you guide them on your rent-vesting journey. So, due to popular demand, we are bringing you the very first Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition. We are indeed, and this is very exciting for us, I tell Mm. you. This is the culmination of over 40 years' experience that we're going to teach you step-by-step, not where you should buy but this is not the answer this is not the golden bullet (laughs) not the silver bullet it is we're going to teach you how to properly research this vast wild country of ours to be able to work out where you should look to investigate to buy your investment property it's a really really important skill that you learn how to critically look at data information what the important things are and we're going to teach you how to do it when are we going to do it we're doing it on the veronica i don't have that in front of me oh well that's okay i'll step in because we're a team and we are going to do the where to buy workshop investor edition on wednesday the 24th of november 2021 7 till 9 p.m australian eastern daylight time so that's basically sydney melbourne time six Six to eight eight if you're in in brisbane and yep. I can't remember if you're in Adelaide and elsewhere, but basically half an hour behind. Yep. live to you on Wednesday, 24th of November, we are bringing you the Where to Buy workshop. So if you want to tune in, the link is in the show notes. Today, we're joined by Strata Lawyer and fellow podcaster, host of Your Strata Property, Amanda Farmer, and she's going to reveal her four steps to a successful Strata Records inspection, including what to do when particular records are withheld for privacy or legal reasons. But before we get into that, we have a very special uh potentially strata building to have a little bit of a chat about. <laughs> it's your special house, Megan. And for those watching the video, it's behind her. And this is particularly problematic, I would think, when it comes to defects. Oh, my goodness. The first thing Amanda saw when I popped it up in the background was, oh, defects. <laughs> so for those who are not watching, this is the roller coaster called the Roller Coaster Apartment Complex in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. And uh, this was designed in 2010 and it apparently uh, went to, um, went, re- was released to the market in 2012. So I don't know. I love a roller coaster, but I don't think that I could live in that property. Amanda, initial thoughts from your your point of view? <laughs> I'm not sure that calling an apartment building the roller coaster is a great marketing <laughs> step. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone wants to live in the roller coaster or thinks that they're going to be. But I tell you what, from my perspective, so many people do end up living <laughs> in or on the roller coaster. It might not look like one, but it might be a roller coaster ride. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Well, that's why you're here today, Amanda. <laughs> Amanda, it is so great to meet you. I know that you've done a lot of work with um, Veronica in the past, but for you and I, and this is our first conversation about Strata. Um, you know, when we buy a Strata or community title property, it's community title in, in Queensland, we're buying into what's sometimes referred to, and Veronica loves to call it the fourth layer of government. Um, and there's a whole additional layer of due diligence that needs to be done, which starts with the inspection of the strata records you know you might fall in love with the apartment there's a whole lot of stuff that you've got to find out about isn't there there is and i should say it 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 should start with the inspection of records it doesn't always start with the inspection of records but i know that you both recommend to your clients and no doubt to your listeners that that is absolutely the first thing that you should be doing as a purchaser looking to buy into strata or community title have a look at those books and records. But so many people don't. Uh, I've done some conveyancing in my time and nine times out of 10, the contract would come to me, signed, very excited client. (laughs) I've just signed this contract to buy a strata apartment. Did you have a look at the books and records? The what? The what, says the client? I didn't know I was supposed to do that. All right, let's go back a step. Okay, let's assume that we're talking to people who have not bought apartments before. What are we yep. talking about? What, 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 what are these buildings and complexes? How are they actually manage and, and what is the role of the strata manager? Yeah, so you described it really well first up. Wherever we have some common property. So we say strata in New South Wales. Uh, in Queensland, you say community title. You talk about body corporates, body corporate. strata in WA. Mm-hmm. We talk about owners' corporations in Victoria and also in New South Wales. I've started to use the term apartments, apartment buildings. They may be multi-storey. Uh, they could be low-rise. We have also community schemes in New South Wales, uh, also now in WA and in Queensland, which are uh, townhouses, villas, quite large scale communities with lots of facilities. So you are, when you are purchasing into a strata title, I'm going to call them, um, you are purchasing not land, interestingly, you are purchasing airspace and you then have a right together with other owners in the complex to use the common property, the common spaces, stairs, foyers, pool, if you're lucky, gym, and you contribute to the maintenance and the upkeep of those common spaces. Um, Strata buildings are becoming increasingly complex. We have lots and lots more people living in strata and spending a lot more money on purchasing strata and community title properties. So incredibly important that people are going in with their eyes open. It's not just big complexes though, is it, Amanda? I mean, a strata... body corporate could actually just be for two. It could be for a duplex. That is very true. And that Mm -hmm. is often overlooked. People say, oh, no, it's not strata. Uh, It's a duplex. Often it is strata title. You can have Mm -hmm. two lot strata schemes. Um, You can have company title where there are two lots, a little bit different to strata, but you still have mutual obligations. And it's very important to be aware of the titling structure when you're buying a a townhouse or a villa. Strata Mm -hmm. can take people by surprise in that situation. Wow. Totally can. So much to learn. Literally this morning I was having a a sort of a three-way conversation with clients, their lawyer and me about a company title duplex, which is really quite unusual, but in certain areas that's the the Mm. way the council requires them to make a subdivision. So complicated and, in my view, unnecessary. Well, I don't know why they didn't do a strata. But anyway, that's a totally different topic here. But but in terms of those obligations, uh, it's re- it, I agree with you. It's 100% important to understand what they are, but also to understand how you actually get things done. So if, if you're one of two, you might think it's really simple, but like if you're going to insure that building, you got to work out what are the mechanisms that allow you to actually agree on an insurance provider, what the policy is going to be, how much it's going to be, how you pay it. There's, you know, that's that's really in a way simple. But then right up to those multi, um, what do you call them? The, the those complexes where you've got community title tied in, where you've got these shared facilities that might be shared between different strata titles. So different yes. buildings may have a, a smaller share in each of these bigger facilities, or there might be. Um, shops uh, or other sort of commercial premises as part of the strata. So that then takes it to a whole new layer. 
And if you don't inspect the records, you've got no no idea really of the bigger picture here. And so this is, you know, so it goes from quite simple to ridiculously complex. And then you've got strata managers at every level across, well, not always, some of them are self-managed, but strata levels are managers that may or may not necessarily understand these complexes any better than you do. <laughs> and so then how do you then work out whether you're getting access to the right information, whether they, they can keep records? I mean, it's a, it's a nightmare, isn't it? So this this is good, why you're it's here. It's a good point, Veronica, because <laughs> I guess what, what would be really good to understand from Amanda is what sort of records do strata managers keep? Mm. What, what sort of things are we talking about that people need to, to be looking at or have someone who knows what they're looking at look at? Yes. So records can range from minutes of meetings. That's the, generally the first thing that people think about. Uh, they understand that the body corporate, like a corporation, meets regularly, you have at least an annual general meeting. And if you're looking at the books and records, uh, people usually think I need to see the minute book. I need to have a look at what has been discussed in meetings, what has been decided. So minutes of meetings absolutely are important. Uh, Can we just just dial that back just a touch and and um, let people know the body corporate is what? Who makes up the body corporate? So every owner is mm. a member of the body corporate, mm-hmm. also known as the owner's corporation. So the minute you have bought into a strata scheme, you are a member of the owner's corporation or the body corporate. So you become one of the body corporate when you, yes. are, when you own in a complex. Yeah, yeah. Part, of, part of the owner's corporation or part of the, of the body corporate. Yep, absolutely. Okay. And you have a say. You have a say in what goes on in the building. Mm. A vote, if you like. Yes. So when you are going to these meetings at an annual general meeting or a general meeting, you have the opportunity to vote on motions to have your say. We can also talk about strata committee meetings or Mm. executive Mm. committee meetings. Mm. This is that smaller group of elected owners, usually, who have been chosen to deal with the day-to-day management of the community. Often they are the ones interacting regularly with the professional strata manager Mm. and making decisions about repair and maintenance that needs to go on. We need a plumber who organises that. How do we do that? We need to have some direction for the community. Are we going to improve or upgrade the common property? Are we going to change gardeners? Are we going to get a building manager in? The committee is often the group that's making decisions about those things, or at least Mm -hmm. the preliminary steps towards that decision. Some things need to go before the general meeting legally to have decisions made about them. Uh, But when you're looking at records, you will hopefully, I say hopefully, because it doesn't always happen, see minutes (laughs) of general meetings. Yes. And minutes (laughs) of committee meetings as well. Right. So okay. So that's, is that's it, an important one. Yeah, very. And but tell for the the basic back to basics. Why is it important for buyers to examine these records? Mm. It's important to know as best you can what you are buying into. And you might say, well, I've gone to look at the property and I know by looking at the plan and then being there physically what it is that I am buying my apartment and I've got a car space and I've got a storage cage. It's all great. But when you live in a strata building, and we can start with live, investing is another ball game as well. But Mm -hmm. when you live in strata, you are very close to your neighbours. You uh, are sharing common areas. You are often hearing what's going on with your neighbours. You're in the lift with them. It's really important in my view, and, and I live in strata and have invested in strata, um, so I, I, this is first-hand experience. It's important to know the level of harmony within a building, okay? Oh, right. So to hey, me, that's, that's number one. golden that's piece of advice. One. Yes. Yeah. Because if you have a building where people don't like each other for whatever reason, they're fighting with each other, they're in court or in the tribunal with each other, they argue about whether to spend money or not, they argue about whether to fix a problem in the common property or not, you are going to see, if you inspect the records properly, you are going to see this on the records. Mm. And for me as a purchaser, if I see that on the records, that is something that I walk 
away from Ooh. because it's also the hardest thing to fix. Um, <laughs> there, there may be a fixable, maybe the roof is leaking. That's fixable mm, yeah. as long as everybody's on board. But personalities, <laughs> personality clashes, and there's one person in particular in the building that just uh, votes everything down or is causing a particular problem. Those kinds of personal issues are very hard to fix. Ooh. And if you can stay out of those kind of communities, it's for the best. <laughs> it's almost like getting to knock on the neighbor's door without actually doing the knocking. But you get a little yes. tiny bit of insight to how how people are interacting and 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 different, you know, sometimes you can see feedback or how someone has responded, as you say, to emotion. Um, and if if one particular person is is always voting things down and they don't want to increase the levies and you know, all those sorts of things, it's it's a great insight to what potential problems might arise in the future. That is so true. I never actually thought of it that way. I had an experience recently where I purchased a, a freestanding home, a house, um, mm. and not strata. And I haven't done that for a little while. And I actually had that moment where I went, oh, but I don't know about the neighbours. And there was nothing <laughs> I could do about that. I just right. had to cross my fingers and hope for the best. There were no mm. records I can go and look at, no minutes yeah. of meetings I could look at, no emails I could read. Yeah. I just had to hope that I was going to get good neighbours. And, um, yeah, I recognise that in myself now, that that mm. reluctance to jump in. And that is, I think, a benefit of um, apartment living, that you can get all of this information if you know where to look for it mm. before you sign that contract. Yeah, one of the things that you, and we're going to get you to take us through your four steps in a moment, but I, I know one of the things from listening to you many times, speaking to you, that you say find the email correspondence and see the way in which most people get access to these records when they're buying a property, assuming they do get access, as you mentioned before, a lot of people go ahead not realising they can do this or should do this, mm-hmm. is that they they read a strata report. Now, that strata report could have been compiled by the agent, may have commissioned it as part of the sort of the pre-sale setup, or it might be that the your solicitor may have ordered it on your behalf. Um, and so then that strata inspector goes and inspects the records. And, and I've read so hundreds of them over the years, and they vary in degrees of um, usefulness, put it that way. I mean, some of them are like... I've had one that was 600 pages long because it literally was just cut and pay. It was just, it was just reproduced all these documents. It didn't actually, they didn't read it or interpret them or put them into some mm-hmm. context. They actually mm-hmm. just, you know, it's like a document vomit. And um, other times where they really do go in there and forensically read through the minutes and then go and find evidence, you know, in the the, the other documents to find out where they got quotes, whether they've done this, where they've done, you know, what uh, to chase the trail back. But in years gone by, I used to see more email correspondence in these reports than I do these days. And Amanda, it's one of those things that you talk about all the time. And I find that those pre-purchase reports, they just don't have it. And and I think it's obviously time and money. And the only way you're really going to get access to it is to go and do it yourself by the sounds of it. Yes. And here we are at my first step to successful strata (laughs) records inspection, it's actually making the request to go and inspect the records. And I'm glad you've started at that point of the the usual process these days is that you're either presented with a report from the agent. And I want everybody to just be aware that that is the vendor's report. The person who is selling you the property has had a records inspection report prepared and they are giving you that information they have a vested interest in the content of that report (laughs) and a vendor who wants to sell or wants to get the the price that they're happy with is going to shape that report in a way that suits them let's just be upfront about that so if you are being good point in in some states you don't get given that report yes you're Mm -hmm. right if you're being given it or you're being told to pay you 50 bucks for it or it's over here on a website download it immediately i think antennas need to go up and Mm. purchasers should be saying to themselves okay thank you that's nice but this is just scratching the surface of what i should be having access to now if you are the owner of a strata apartment you have a right to request a records inspection what you can also do is authorize anybody else to go and 
inspect the records. Mm -hmm. So what I do, if I'm acting for a purchaser who wants me to go and inspect records or I want to go and inspect records, I get a letter from the owner of the apartment that says you are authorized to go and inspect the records. Now, if this vendor wants to sell and wants to get the best price possible, they shouldn't be hesitating to give you that authorization to go Mm. and inspect the records. You should get it from the agent or you should get it from the vendor. If they do hesitate, um, alarm, alarm bells. bells again, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our, our law, at least in New South Wales, says that authorised representatives of owners can go and inspect records. Now, I'm saying go and inspect. That's because if the building is managed by a strata manager, that's the person who holds the books and records. That's part of their job to be the custodian of the records. Mm. The front page of the contract will usually tell you who the strata manager is, if there is one, what their contact details are. uh, And obviously, you have the contact details for the vendor to get that authorization. You contact the strata manager and you make an appointment to inspect the records. These days, I'm finding, thank goodness, that most strata managers can facilitate records inspections online. So they actually have a portal where you can log into their system and you can access Mm. the file that they hold for the building, which is great. Uh, Makes it easy for you. You can do it from your desk. Mm. Some perhaps a little bit more old-fashioned strata management companies still have those hard copy records (laughs) or they can't facilitate that online access. So you actually sit there and go through each page and work out what's relevant. Yes, yes. So if you're having to do that, uh, set aside a couple of hours to do that. Um, You... So that's really my first step, how to inspect, how to make the request to inspect the records and Mm. and making sure you do. You understand you have a right to make that request and a right to go and inspect the records before you sign the contract. Mm. And do it early. Yeah, do it early, but it might be a little bit different depending on your state. So in Queensland, Mm. often a, a contract is formed with a condition that is subject to body corporate record search. So yes, in yeah. that case, you actually take the contract to the body corporate managers, which gives you the right to inspect the records. So it depends which way, what type of process you're going through. Although in, uh, in, if you're going to auction in Brisbane, Megan, mm, you, you're not going to do, do it that it way around, are you? No, you do it before. Mm. Yeah. Yes, same in New South Wales. And this to me demonstrates the importance of getting your advice on your purchase Mm. from somebody who understands strata and community title. So Veronica and I have talked about this before. The uh, cheapest conveyancer in town does not necessarily understand how owners' corporations and body corporates work. And there may be people people listening to this podcast saying, oh, my gosh, my conveyancer hasn't even mentioned books and records Mm. to me. I had had no idea. Uh, I always say there's a difference between Property lawyers and strata lawyers. There's definitely a difference between conveyances and property lawyers. Um, everybody makes their own choice as to where they get their advice, but I mm. do think it's really important if you're buying strata that you have specialist advice from somebody who understands strata again as early as possible, so Another they can help you with piece this process. Of gold there, absolutely. Everybody, yeah. Now, not all, actually, I just want to clarify something because not all conveyances are cut price conveyances. Some conveyances are amazing. In fact, one that we use quite regularly with our clients is someone that you referred to us, Amanda. So, so, but not all <laughs> lawyers know anything about strata either. So, it's not an assumption that just because they're a conveyancer, mm. they, they don't know. And just because someone's a lawyer, they do know. The, the lawyer has to be a, a, well, in New South Wales, an accredited property specialist for a starter. That's what we would encourage you to look at. And, and within that, someone who actually does a lot of strata, mm. they can buy a lot of houses, they can help you buy a lot of houses, but do they understand all the things that Amanda was talking about? And there's also nothing wrong with having your conveyancer who's going to do the transactional work, who's actually going to settle the purchase for you and bringing in a specialist like a strata lawyer Mm. to do that front-end records inspection and give you that advice prior Mm. to signing the contract. That's something I do quite regularly. Uh, And I have some very savvy uh, property investor clients who know lots and lots about property, but we've become acquainted because they've purchased uh, or looked at purchasing strata and they've gone ding, ding, ding. I need to make sure I've got a specialist right up front who understands how this crazy, and it is crazy, world (laughs) of strata works. This fourth layer of government. This fourth layer, that is right. That is very, very true. So step two. Step two is understanding what 
should be there when you go to inspect records and understanding mm-hmm. that you can ask for documents that may not be there. So an owner's corporation has an obligation to provide to you for inspection every document that is under its custody or control. Everything, everything. And this is where we're going to get to emails, which Veronica was talking about earlier. So I've already mentioned minutes. That's kind of the obvious. You sit down at the the strata manager's office, you get plonked with the minute books. You say, okay, that's great. I want to see every document that you hold, strata manager, in relation to this building. That means financial records, okay? We want to see how much money is in the bank. We want to see the budget for the coming year. We want to see quotes and invoices. What has this building been spending money on the last 12 months? What is it proposed to spend money on moving forward? Mm. We want to see the 10-year forecast. And most states of Australia have a law that a a strata or community title building must have a 10-year plan so we can see what the levies are going to look like over the next 10 years and what major capital work is going to be carried out. And this is my my number one um, item that I ask for because very often it's not there until I ask for it. I want to see all the email correspondence. Mm -hmm. So these are emails Owners are sending to the strata manager. Committee members are sending to the strata manager. The strata manager is sending out. And if you read the last 12 months of emails, as best you can, and in some big buildings, that is thousands and thousands of emails, you start to get a picture of how the building is running. And you get this understanding of the harmony or disharmony within the building and what Mm. the key issues are. And I can almost guarantee that you will not be given the emails unless you ask for them. Oh, good tip. Great yes. tip. Mm. I pretty much guarantee it from all the reports I've seen. <laughs> As I said, I haven't seen an email and a report for a long time. That's interesting, isn't it? Amanda, I want to pick up on a point that you made there and just dig in a little bit deeper. You talked about looking for the forecast for expenditure for the capital works, both in the next 12 months and also the next 10 years. Um, I think one of the things that um, people ask for is what is the balance of the sinking fund or the capital works fund, depending on what state you're in. Um, But they don't necessarily know why they're asking that question. So can you talk us through (laughs) those two things actually go hand in hand, but people may not know why those two things together are so important. So we've got a balance Mm. of a capital works fund. We've got a forecast of what expenditure is coming up. What do we need to do? What do we need to be looking at with those two items of information? Why is it important? Yes. Many people will look at the financial records of the building and see that, for example, there's $200,000 in the Capital Works Fund. That's fantastic. People say, that sounds good. Lots of money. There's not going to be any surprises here. There won't be any special levies, we call them, to have to contribute funds because this is a really healthy, financially healthy building. If you then look at the Capital Works Fund plan, it will actually tell you what the balance of the fund should be in any particular year. Mm. So there might be 200,000 in the sinking fund this year, let's say it's 2021. The Capital Works Fund plan says this building should have 500,000 in the fund because at this point in time, it is estimated that the lift will need to be replaced. It's 30 years old. It needs to be replaced. Also, bad timing. At the same time, we have to replace the roof membrane, and that's another $50,000 to replace the roof membrane. So we're getting into a building, maybe the building's 30 or 40 years old, and everything's kind of coming up at once that Mm. needs replacement. So we have a a plan that's told us we should have this much in the fund by this date. We're thinking 200,000 looks great, but it doesn't really when we have this recommendation as to these really expensive capital works items that are coming up. Mm. Um, It is not... Uh, mandatory for a building to follow its capital works fund to the letter. And that's concerning, I think, for purchases because you don't know necessarily whether a building does have enough in its fund. Mm. Um, Once again, 
reading the emails, looking at uh, any reports that are on file from experts like waterproofing contractors um, or plumbers or others that have come in and given advice, understanding what is coming up is going to help you make an informed decision about your purchase because if there is this uh, forecast expenditure and there isn't, doesn't look like there's enough in the fund, you do need to be prepared for special levies yes. that may be coming up. Um, the other way that buildings manage this is to borrow money and get a, a str- what we call a strata loan, which you then have to contribute towards mm. repaying. So it might not be a deal breaker, but you need to understand if you're going to have these additional financial obligations. And up. if you're a first home buyer and you've done your budget up and know how much you're spending on your mortgage and how much you've got to spend on your, your levies and suddenly there's a massive special levy that everybody else knew about but you hadn't done your research and you didn't know it was coming up, it's really hard for some people to find that extra money at a time after they've just settled a new purchase. You know, it might it may come up in the coming months that there's twenty dollars or $30,000 special levy that you've got to find the funds for. You just can't turn around and say no. Mm-hmm. I've it's seen it. I've heard mm-hmm. it happen so many times. You know, I didn't know and it's like it was quite easy to work out. The other thing too, some, some buildings do have a history of that's how they raise money. So they, yes. they sort of vote to keep their levies low and the, the capital works fund or the sinking fund contribution low, which means, and then just raise a special levy whenever they've got a thing that needs to be addressed. And so, and I look to that and I think, oh God, I don't like that because they have not invested in lumpy. that building. And this this mm. owner, and he's lumpy too. Yeah, how do you mm. budget for that? But this owner has benefited from that pretty lax and tight ass sort of approach to <laughs> managing the building. Yes. And, and you're going to suffer, you know, anything that's been left unattended you're going to wear the consequences for because you're buying in and there's not enough money there and you're going to have yeah. to cough it up. And so you and you haven't had the benefit of using the building for all these years and owning the building for all these years and getting that capital growth supposedly that's in there, you know. So so these are, these are really important things. Yeah. Anything else that should be there, Amanda, in the in the records? Insurance documents, it is the law right across the country that these buildings have to have a particular type of insurance. You have building insurance. Uh, Some buildings also have what we call office sparers Mm. liability insurance. So that protects the committee members. If they're making some dodgy decisions, then you want to make sure that there is insurance there. Um, And in terms of building insurance, there are obligations to get the building valued by a registered Mm. valuer regularly. In New South Wales, that's every three years. Uh, and I've definitely had the experience very recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I attended an AGM, um, quite a prestigious building. I was a proxy holder for my client and they questioned the valuation of Ooh. the building. It was a, a $25 million valuation, I think. And these were um, 10 luxury, very, very high-end apartments. And it wasn't until on the instructions of my client, I pointed out mm, that valuation looks a little bit low that the other owners looked at it and thought, hmm, yes, I think we better go and get a second opinion you'd hate for the place to burn down and to be underinsured. So checking that there's insurance there, that it's valid and that there is a valuation report that seems to back that up um, is another good thing to look for. There's some areas of compliance as well in Strata that that obviously – in some cases, you don't have to worry about it in a in a house, right? So, like, if you've got a pool, if you're in a house, you need to have a, a, a certificate, in, well, different certificates in different jurisdictions, mm, let's face mm. it, but uh, for safety. In in a, apartments in particular, you've got things like balustrade height, you've got hmm. window openings because you don't want to be able to fit a baby's head through a window, which yeah. sounds really dreadful, but the, there's it's all about safety and stopping people falling yes. out, basically. Yeah. You've also got... Uh, cladding, you know, so flammable cladding, you've got asbestos. So you've got quite a work cover. There's a whole bunch of other, or or fire safety certificate, annual fire safety statement. Mm. Mm. So you've got all these other levels of compliance that, um, you know, you want to be seeing in a building. Can you give us some insights into what you would look for in that regard? Definitely, definitely all of those things. Uh, I heard from a strata manager just this week. He was saying it's now, uh, if he had a dollar for every time he's being asked by uh, banks, I think it's banks asking for cladding reports. Mm. Um, You guys, I'm not sure if you guys see this on your side. Yeah. Yeah. 
and just confirmation that a building doesn't have cladding or that if they do have cladding, that it's non-flammable cladding mm-hmm. or that there is a, a process underway to be dealing with that. Uh, we're hearing in Sydney that there have been buildings that have spent millions of dollars having to mm-hmm. replace their facades and we don't have government assistance for that. So Mm. I'm really glad you raised cladding. That's an important one. Um, Look, we can go down the rabbit hole of brand new buildings and talk about building defects. That's a huge, (laughs) huge Um, flashing light that should be there for purchases. in itself. And, and really, I used to say, you know, buying anything less than 10 years old always made me a little bit nervous. But you know, since Mascot Towers, uh, we're nervous even for our older, mm-hmm. older buildings mm-hmm. uh, and our new legislation that our building commissioner has been championing. Um, it doesn't, doesn't cover those older buildings. Mm. If there are original building defects that just have never been addressed, mm. um, owners are left with the bill for those. So it's just another thing to have on your list. List, your checklist, if you like, when you go looking at records, if the building is, let's say, within 20 years old, you might be having um, having a close look at whether there are still original building defects and mm, communications gonna, about that. I'm going to pop some links in the show notes here for some of the Elephant in the Room podcasts that refer to these topics because um, particularly Mascot Towers was 12 years old when it started sinking into the ground. Um, so that was alarming because until that point, the publicity in New South Wales around sort of major building defects had been on, on buildings that were re- relatively new and still within mm. their, um, you know, the statutory period, whereas mm. that one clearly outside, which means that the entire liability fell on the, the shoulders of the owners within that building. Um, and there's also, then we then I interviewed a um, just a council certifier, right, just to understand who'd been in the game for 40 years to understand the history. And that's when I sort of thought about the, that's when I was flagged about the 20-year thing. It's like this mm-hmm. isn't necessarily just a new building. Um, so, yeah, so I'll put some of those links in the show notes because there's, there's right. a real, you do need mm-hmm. to understand, you know, the, the risks associated with buildings. There are ways to look for history to try to give yourself some comfort, but there are risks with this. Mm. Anyway. And with our older buildings, it's really that cycle of repair and maintenance, you know, seeing that that is happening. And we spoke about it earlier. You, You can tell from the documents from the communications if you've got an engaged committee that's thinking about these things that has a regular maintenance program that's even that's got cleaners on site you know you want to make sure that you're you're the way it's presented on your open for inspection is actually the way it's going to be when you're living there and um you know another building another tragic building uh miami and the collapse that we saw there that was a 40 year old building and we it's come out since that collapse that this was a failure to repair and maintain and that there were Ooh. reports there were signs there were emails from the the chairperson of that homeowners association as they call it over there saying this is too risky i'm actually i'm resigning from this committee because wow. no one is paying attention to this problem and it was a, a oh, pool wow. that was leaking water penetration to the car park just horrific and when you look back over that um, 2 years before that tragic event that this community knew about that and oh. apartments w- would have been buying and selling in that time mm. new owners a uh, very hot property market over there and people just yeah. don't inspect the records don't understand records. what they're getting into there's but an it, email i would have wanted to read to mm. i want yep. to read that guy's resignation letter and and then <laughs> then it might have been a massive big red flag not to buy yeah, in that absolutely. building wow all right, yep, Amanda, definitely. so we've, we've talked through your first two steps. Let's yes. go through the next two steps. So the third step is to understand some of the common misconceptions when it comes to records inspections. And this is uh, something that I have uh, over my 17 years of practice, uh, I can call common because they come up regularly when I go to inspect (laughs) records. And that is uh, strata managers, often it is, they are the custodian of the records, telling you that they can't provide certain documents, usually the emails, because they are private and confidential. So this um, comes up regularly and some, some people who are inspecting just accept that and say, oh, okay, well, I understand. I don't want to breach anybody's mm. privacy. Mm. Um, what I want to make clear today is that there is no 
privacy in strata records. If you are an there owner, you, go, you heard it here first. If you are an owner or an owner's authorized representative, you can see every document that is under the custody or control of the owner's corporation. That includes one document we haven't mentioned yet, the strata role. And the strata role is that document that lists the name and contact details of every owner in the building. It's probably not something that as a purchaser coming in, you necessarily need to see or are really thinking about, but it comes up a lot with clients that I work with where they are wanting to understand uh, how many owner occupiers do we have. Mm, Uh, They want a campaign to get their project approved at the next AGM. So they want to send an email to all owners, encouraging them to vote for their proposal. That is absolutely legal. They are entitled to access the contact details of every owner. And together with emails, this is the other document that I'm regularly told by strata managers, no, you cannot have it because it is private and confidential. Legally, that does not fly. And we have Mm -hmm. cases in our tribunal in New South Wales, definitely, that backs that up and says there is no privacy law. The national privacy principles don't apply to strata records. There is no reason Mm. why an owner or their representative should not be able to access those kinds of records. Okay. Is there any exception to the rule? There is no exception to the rule in relation to privacy. The only um, overlaying factor being that if you are not an owner or you're not an authorised representative of an owner, then you shouldn't be looking at records. You have no legal Mm -hmm. entitlement to look at records. Uh, The other misconception is around documents that may be the subject of legal professional privilege. So, where an owner's corporation has a lawyer acting for them in relation to litigation, they're either suing an owner or an owner suing them, or they're getting some advice about a third party, then the communication that flows between the lawyer and the owner's corporation is privileged and should not be uh, released to third parties. There is a, a complicating factor here, however. You heard me say earlier that every owner is a member of the owner's corporation, right? So the owner's Mm. corporation is this um, legal entity, but it's made up of every owner. So when you think about who the lawyer's client is, the lawyer's client is every owner in the building. So this Mm. is why I call this another (laughs) misconception. When an owner goes to inspect records, often a strata manager will withhold any legal advice that the owner's corporation has and say, oh, that's privileged, you can't see it. The owner is entitled to see that most times, and I'll tell you the exception, most times the owner is entitled to see that because they're a member of the owner's corporation. They're actually contributing to the lawyer's fees through their levies. Um, The lawyer is representing them as a member of the owner's corporation. The only time those documents are privileged is when it is actually the owner themselves who is in litigation with the owner's corporation. So they are the opposing party. If they, if the owner of lot six has um, damaged the common property and the owner's corporation is suing them in the tribunal, mm-hmm. then the advice that the owner's corporation has about lot, lot six's actions is privileged and lot six can't see that advice. So the strata manager can take that out of the records if lot six is inspecting the records. If lot three is going to inspect the records, lot three can read that advice. It's not their dispute with the owner's corporation. They're actually a member of the owner's corporation. They're entitled to see that advice. Mm -hmm. So it's not privileged if lot three is inspecting the records. It's only privileged if lot six is inspecting the records. But what you find, again, nine times out of 10, the strata manager just takes the easy route and just removes all legal correspondence from the file and says it's privileged, you can't see it. And this is a problem for purchasers because it's possible that you're going to inspect records and you've you've listened to this podcast and you've heard Amanda say, make sure you understand what's going on in the building. There might be litigation going on and there's expenses associated with that. You've got to be aware. And you might look at the records and there's nothing there about lawyers or legal proceedings. That could be because the strata manager has removed all that thinking it's privileged when really it's not. You're the purchaser. You're not even an owner. Of course, it's not privileged. You're entitled to see that. So that's a good one to be asking about. Is there any litigation? Is there any legal advice that I should be seeing that should be part of these records? 
goes goes back to one of our principles, and that is, you know, you need to engage with people who know what they're doing because mm. in most cases you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I've learned things just listening to you today. We don't buy a lot of apartments in Brisbane. Most of what we buy is freehold homes. Um, you know, but I'm sort of walking away going, geez, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be the one who's doing the inspection of these records without the knowledge that someone like you has from the amount of times that you've looked at at records and, and know what to look at and how to dig in and what the indicating factors are. And, you know, there's just such a, a lot of information to wade through there. But then to even follow up on, you might find something, but then what do you do with that information? You, you need to take it another step further and find out more about it sometimes. Yep, definitely. All right, okay, so that's four. step three. Where are we now? Yes, well, step four Uh <laughs> Step four is a little bit different depending on whether you are an owner already in a building or whether you are a purchaser um, still not having signed that contract yet. If you go to inspect the records and what you expect to see is not there or you have asked for particular records and you continue to be told incorrectly that they don't need to be provided or that they're private or that they're privileged, if you are an owner, you can seek redress for that. You can go to the tribunal and you can seek an order forcing the owner's corporation to deliver up particular records. Mm -hmm. And I always say, before you do that, make sure you're very clear about what it is that you want to see and what you believe mm -hmm. is missing. That means sending a letter, listing the documents that you want and giving the owner's corporation through their strata manager the opportunity to deliver up those documents. But if all that fails, you can go to the tribunal and seek an order forcing the owner's corporation to act. Uh, I suppose step four from the perspective of a purchaser who hasn't yet signed a contract going to look at these records and see either seeing things in there that make you a little bit uncomfortable. Those alarm bells are going. There's a, an expenditure coming up and there doesn't seem to be money in the kitty. I think then taking that information and conferring with your advisor about how best to use that information. It might not mean walking away from the purchase. It might mean that your knowledge actually makes you quite powerful in the process of negotiating mm -hmm. your purchase. And this is something that I've been able to do in the past because I have this knowledge is to go back to a vendor and say, hey, I've looked at the records. I can see all of this coming up for this building. Mm. You want X for this property. I'm going to have to keep 50 grand in my bank account because this mm -hmm. is coming up. So I'm going to pay you Y. Take it or leave it, buddy. If you have that knowledge, um, then you're able to negotiate a lot more confidently and competently, perhaps, um, where if, than if you didn't have it. And mm. that is the power in a records inspection. That's really it's step four. How do you pay. use? How do you use that information to mm. your advantage? So you can walk away if it's if you discovered information that basically you know, now that you know it, you don't actually want to buy into that big, big problem. Or you can look at it in a commercial sense to say, well, it's quite contained in terms of it's quantifiable. You know, you can actually mm -hmm. look at the problem and say, you know what, I've realised that there's going to be a liability that I'm buying into, but, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to offset that in the negotiations. And sometimes, certainly in a hot market, you know, we come across things like that all the time and it might be walk away purely because it's a hot market and other buyers haven't done all this research yes. and so they don't mm. know and you've got to have confidence to walk away from things just because somebody who doesn't know is prepared to pay a crazy price doesn't mean you should now that you do know <laughs> pay a crazy price so mm. these are all this is a great process to protect you and we look Amanda this has been such a interesting um interview and thank you so much for stepping um that process through for us and also our listeners we've got a final question for you Amanda, absolute joy. I've learnt things today. You know, I'm always learning things off Veronica in this strata space because it's not something I do a lot of purchasing in. But what's something, what's one thing that you can leave us with, leave our, our listeners with? A final well, word. Yes, happy to give a final word. I speak a lot about my experiences as a strata lawyer and I want to be very clear that 
because of that position, I am seeing the top 2% of the 5% worst case scenarios. <laughs> and I want to make sure that we don't leave your listeners today feeling scared about investing in Strata. If you're looking to purchase a Strata or community title property, um, continue that search. Just do it armed with the knowledge that you've learned here today and understanding that there are things that you don't know, you don't know. Mm. And all of this today has been uh, conveyed with the intention of helping you make a better purchasing decision. As I said, I live in Strata, invest in Strata. I love living in an apartment community, having my neighbours close by, working together to improve the building and improve the value of our investment can be a fantastic investment decision. Living in an urban environment, uh, having the ease that comes with apartment living, all of that good stuff. Let's not forget that. And this little bit of knowledge and knowing where to go to get more information about apartment living, um, I think just gets you on the right track. So let's end hopefully on that positive note. Oh, that that's great. Advice. And, and I think fundamentally so that you can avoid being the 2% of the, top, of the 5%. Of the 5%, yeah. <laughs> we, we want you to be the majority that actually do get to enjoy strata living Knowledge as opposed to the trap, you're falling in those traps that are easily avoidable if you, get the, if you follow the right process. Thank you so much, Amanda. My pleasure. Thank you, Veronica and Megan. During our three-year journey to help first-time buyers, we have found an increasing number of you want us to help you guide them on your rent vesting journey. So, due to popular demand, we are bringing you the very first Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition. We are indeed. And this is very exciting for us, I tell mm. you. This is the culmination of over 40 years' experience that we're going to teach you step-by-step, step, not where you should buy, but... No, this is not the answer. <laughs> this is not the golden bullet. <laughs> Not the silver bullet. It is, we're going to teach you how to properly research this vast, wild country of ours to be able to work out where you should look to investigate to buy your investment property. It's a really, really important skill that you learn how to critically look at data, information, what the important things are, and we're going to teach you how to do it. When are we going to do it? We're doing it on the Veronica. I don't have that in front of me. It's oh, well, that's okay. I'll step in because we're a team and we are going to do the Where to Buy Workshop Investor Edition on Wednesday, the 24th of November, 2021, 7 till 9 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So that's basically Sydney, Melbourne time, 6, Six till eight, 8 if you're in, in Brisbane. Brisbane. And yep. I can't remember if you're in Adelaide and elsewhere, but basically half an hour behind. Yep. live to you on Wednesday, 24th of November, we are bringing you the Where to Buy workshop. So if you want to tune in, the link is in the show notes. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.